Hey everybody, it's Father Edward Looney here. I am so excited because I recently received my latest order from Sock Religious. I ordered the He is Risen socks in order to celebrate Easter. And we know that Easter is not just one Sunday out of the year, but we have several Sundays of Easter that I'll be able to wear these socks as I celebrate Mass. If you are looking for the perfect gift for First Communion or Confirmation, Make it sock religious. You'll be sharing the gift of faith with whoever you gift them to. For more information, find the link in the show notes to order your socks today from Sock Religious, whether they're for yourself or as a gift. Hello and good morning, everybody. It is Father Edward Looney here, and you are watching or listening to A Cup of St. Joe. And this week we have a very special crossover episode because I want to share this content with my listeners on my podcast, How They Love Mary. Because, of course, who loved Mary the most? Probably St. Joseph and, of course, the Christ child. And uh, so we'll do this crossover episode of the Cup of St. Joe in which we serve an espresso shot of, of teaching and devotion and also how they love Mary, which I hope will be the beginning or the deepening of your Marian devotion. Today, I'm speaking with Mike Aquilina, who is a, a wonderful author and historian for the church. He is a popular author working in the area of church history, especially patristics and the study of the early church fathers. And he's written a book that was very timely, maybe even unexpected, called St. Joseph and his world. So he's going to share with us about the world of St. Joseph. So welcome to Mike Aquilina. Hey, thanks for having me back, Father Edward. Yeah. So on How They Love Mary, we talked about your most recent book on the Virgin Mary, uh, History's Queen, which I thought was a magnificent book. And uh, I actually recommended it in a deacon class that I was teaching. And you know, this book, one of the endorsers, it says, a tremendous breakthrough in the study of St. Joseph. So another book, another contribution that I think will form people in their knowledge of St. Joseph. The great Josephologist was Father Francis Phylus, and he wrote a book called The Man Closest or Nearest to Jesus. And uh, now you've given us kind of a condensed, his book was like 700 pages. Yours is uh, a much smaller text, uh, digestible for the people. And, you know, how how cool is it that Pope Francis decided on December 8th <laughs> to call for the year of St. Joseph? And you had just written this book on St. Joseph, not knowing that was going to happen. It so, arrived. Providence. <laughs> it arrived in the warehouse on December 8th. I could not believe this. I was pinching myself because I saw the news about Pope Francis's announcement and I just received the email from my publisher. So I, I put it out there on social media if it, it, immediately because I was so excited. It really it really did seem providential to me. Yeah, I bet these books are just flying off the shelves in Catholic bookstores. In fact, when I tried ordering it on Amazon, it wasn't available. It sold out in one month. Yeah. Less than one month. Is it in another reprint? There, yes, yeah. it's out. It's out now again uh, in its second printing. But it's it may be it may be on its way to a second sellout of uh, of, of of this printing. 
Well, and that's great to show that so many people are interested in knowing more about St. Joseph, a man who probably has gotten so little attention before, but now this year, you know, this podcast, Cup of St. Joe, uh, you know, every week I'm interviewing someone about St. Joseph, which, you know, lots of places are doing once a month, but I decided to take on this impossible task of doing it every week, but it's been great. I love the conversations I've been able to have, and there's always content I'm discovering and people I want to interview. So it's uh, just a wonderful uh, way for us to grow in our knowledge about St. Joseph. What's the most interesting thing about the world of St. Joseph that you uncovered in your study? I almost hate to say it, but uh, while I was doing my research, the most interesting thing to me uh, was the figure of King Herod. Uh, and it it, uh, it emerged as I was doing my research that that Joseph's life was so entwined with that of King Herod. Uh, you know, so much of, of Joseph's years on earth were passed while Herod was king. He had a phenomenally long reign and uh, and he would have been a very important person in Joseph's world. Uh, so many of the 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 great accomplishments of, of Herod impacted St. Joseph and in important ways. Uh, so yes, this is uh, this was fascinating to me. Uh, during his lifetime, the king was already known as Herod the Great. The people were wow. all already referring to him as the Great. And he was he, he manifested that greatness in so many ways, some of them horrible ways. But others, just astonishing ways. His, he was a, a prodigy of diplomacy. He was a prodigy in the field of architecture. And, uh, and he became famous for both. Uh, so yeah, Herod, I think, was, was the standout for me. I, 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 I was really drawn into uh, the research about his, his life and his reign. And, uh, and really, he did define so much that is important in St. Joseph's world. And then King Herod, of course, leading that world of St. Joseph into a flight into Egypt as he wants to put Jesus to death and all of these things. So he does play this pivotal role in the life of St. Joseph and in the life of the Holy Family. One of the things you talk about is marriage amid the madness. That's chapter four. And I think the marriage of St. Joseph and the marriage between him and Mary is something that is often misunderstood in sacramental theology. People often ask, well, was it a sacramental marriage? And I always say we can't apply the sacramental view of marriage to a sacrament that wasn't instituted at the time. But uh, the marriage, you know, the madness you mentioned. So what is the madness? Well, it's probably the fact that Mary is with child and it's not Joseph's child. It's the child of the Holy Spirit. So that's probably the madness continuing in that Jewish rite of marriage. There were two steps of that, but how uh, the home taking being the finalization. So you have the betrothal and the home taking. What are we to make of or understand about the marriage between Joseph and Mary? Well, what 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 we don't account for today is uh, is that it was it was uh, something that was not common, but it was known in the Jewish culture of the time uh, that a married couple could live uh, celibate lives. They could live celibacy within marriage, and this is this is something that was uh, that was common at least among the sect of the Essenes. And and archaeology seems to indicate that the Essenes were influential 
in uh, in in uh, the area of Nazareth, where um, where where Joseph and Mary would have grown up. Uh, they may have had this religious influence. It seems very likely to me that Joseph and Mary. Uh, had agreed upon entering into such a marriage. Now, in the Old Testament, there are references to such marriages. Uh, there are references to vows that could be taken by women, and it, it says at the time that uh, that uh, that women should make their their husbands uh, their husbands to be aware of their vows before entering into the marriage. Uh, I think that this was probably part of their religious culture. It was a vocation that they had discerned in their own lives. Uh, to me, it's uh, it's the only way we can ex explain Mary's question, how can this be? Because I do not know man. Uh, I, I mean, uh, if she was to enter into a normal marriage, okay, that would have been consummated uh, in a sexual act, well, then uh, she would have known Sure. how it was to be she would not have answered that question because i, I mean a girl growing up at that time um uh, you know with livestock all around her knew about the birds and the bees um she would not have asked the question but she did ask the question of the angel gabriel so i think it's quite likely that joseph and mary had planned to enter uh, into one of these uh, marriages these uh, marriages in which the spouses would would observe celibacy as a spouse of Mary, as the foster father of the Christ child, of course, he had to work. He had to provide for his family. And we hear in the Gospels, it says, you know, that saying, you know, is not his father the carpenter? Isn't this yeah. the carpenter's son? So we know he was, in our language, a carpenter, but really the word is tecton. And so what kind of work did St. Joseph engage in? Well, tecton described a range of activity, really. I, I mean, uh, the tecton could be the guy uh, who was making, you know, little knickknacks for your house uh, out of out of wood. It could have been a, a stone carver. It could have been a stone mason. All of these uh, different activities were covered by this phrase, which means, which we would translate as craftsman, maybe, all right? A generic term for a lot of different crafts. Uh, tradition tells us that he was a carpenter. I, I mean, we have that from Justin Martyr, who we find to be reliable in a lot of other details about the Holy Family. Uh, so uh, he grew up uh, in, in the region, you know, he would have known the customs of the time. He would have perhaps have known people who knew Jesus. Uh, so, so Justin is fairly reliable in this. He said that Joseph was um, was a carpenter uh, and that uh, Jesus was a maker of plows. Uh, so, so we have this um, this testimony from very early on. Uh, but it probably was the trade of his family. Uh, so he would have grown up in the trade from his earliest years, spending years in the workshop. What's different about Jewish culture in that time is the great esteem that was given to people who labored with their hands. There was a stigma associated with manual labor in every other culture on earth at that time. It was looked down upon. It was considered not worthy of freedmen, of citizens. Uh, this is the position we find in Socrates, in Aristotle, in uh, Herodotus. All of them witness to the universality of, um, of uh, contempt for people who labor with their hands. Uh, the, such people were not considered worthy of citizen, citizenship. Um, but but uh, among the Jews and in the religion of ancient Israel, there was there was a just just the opposite. 
Okay, there was a there was a certain honor paid to laborers. All right, so many of the patriarchs were herdsmen and farmers. You know, Jacob leaned into his plow for seven years and then another seven years. Uh, David was a shepherd. Uh, Noah was a sailor. And you get into the New Testament and you find that the apostles were largely fishermen. And Paul, the great spokesman for Christianity, was a tent maker. These are people who got dirty and sweaty in the course of an ordinary day. So Joseph would have been one of these manual labors, but that was considered a badge of honor. Uh, you know, the rabbis said at the time, you know, he who does not teach his child a trade teaches him to steal. Hmm. And, uh, and so there was a great, great, uh, uh, it was considered a requirement that you're going to, you're, an expectation uh, that you're going to teach your child the trade that you yourself grew up in. And Joseph would have grown up in, in a workshop. And we truly do believe that Joseph uh, did teach Jesus this work of craftsmanship, of being a carpenter. Is there any historical evidence to suggest, uh, you know, some of the creations of Jesus? I, you know, this is just kind of an off the wall question, I guess. Well, you know, there, there are, uh, there are uh, ancient apocryphal gospels that talk about Joseph's workshop and about the, the kinds of things that Jesus made when he was young. Uh, I don't put a lot of stock in those. Sure. Uh, uh, a lot of them seem very flighty, very fanciful, and, uh, and, and they, have, um, they have the stench of credulity about them. Uh, uh, they just don't seem plausible in the way that the gospels are plausible. Uh, so uh, so I, I don't know. Again, the early tradition is that Jesus was a maker of plows. Uh, that may have been an allegory imposed on his life because, because a plow is something that includes both wood and iron. And so they saw this as a symbol of the incarnation of of the lord uh, you know the the uh the 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 humanity and the divinity coming together in one instrument so that may have been an allegory projected on his work i don't know uh but i'll bet whatever he did he did with professional excellence with human excellence and with a spirit of service and a sense of the dignity of the profession that he was co-creating with god when he did his everyday work. And that's something that we need to learn from St. Joseph and from Jesus, that when we work, we are doing something that has a divine dignity because it's something that Jesus himself did, that St. Joseph did, that they divinized in the course of their lifetime. You mentioned the apocryphal gospels and um, and apocryphal works. I remember there was once that I actually dabbled a little bit in the field of Josephology. I wrote a paper in Josephology one time, and uh, I, I'm seeming to recall that one of them might have been called the history of Joseph the Carpenter. Is that right? And yes. Yeah. And then there's probably a few others too that I'm neglecting, but uh, yeah, it's interesting things to read the, the things that really didn't get the recognition. And even the Proto-Evangelium of James, like the church takes certain things from that document. Like we get the names of Anne and Jochum, the grandparents of Jesus. We get the Feast of the Presentation of Mary in the temple and all these things from that document. But yet there are things in there that raise eyebrows. And that's the very reason why they're not given the credence uh, of, you know, really worthy of belief uh, in, in their totality. Yeah, I mean, the church, the church has always been careful in, in, uh, in what it accepts, 
in what it permits, in what it endorses. There are different levels to this, right? Yes. And I think that that um, what these were, uh, I mean, it's roughly analogous to, uh, you know, in our own time when people make a movie about Jesus, right? When they make a movie about Jesus, a movie about Mary, uh, they have to be creative in their imagination. They have to they have to try to to um, to find an imaginative entry into that period of history and these particular lifetimes. Um, uh, so they're making some, a lot of stuff up, all right, in order to make the story go along, in order to fill in the blanks that, that, uh, that are there in the Gospels, um, to fill in the gaps. So, um, so, so I think that they were, they were intended, they were written largely to be entertainment because there was a demand for such uh, devotional entertainment, things that edified while they amused people, that they, they, they engaged the imagination of so many people. But the authors had many other concerns, other, you know, concerns other than history. Uh, they were concerned about conveying uh, the facts that they had learned from tradition and the facts that they received in the Gospels, but also they had apologetic concerns mm. because people um, would raise raise an eyebrow uh, when when uh, when Christians claimed that uh, that there was a virginal conception of the Lord and that sort of thing. Uh, we know that that uh, that among the 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 strongest attacks on the church in those early years. Um, were uh, the 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 virginity of Mary? Uh, that's something that was often attacked, and also uh, the the physical resurrection of our Lord. Those two things were 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 constantly challenged by pagans and by Jews, and so Christians felt uh, an apologetic necessity, an apologetic urgency. So many of these these early documents, these apocryphal gospels, took up. Uh, the apologetic as well, and they tried to imagine a good defense against uh, against these 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 charges. They tried to try to to um, to to place uh, place these doctrines uh, beyond question. We are talking with Mike Aquilina about his book Saint Joseph and His World. And it's a fabulous book about the history of Saint Joseph and what we can understand about his life and his world. And, you know, this is, uh, you know, a crossover with my podcast, How They Love Mary. And one of the things that I, you know, I pray asking St. Joseph to help me to love Mary like he loved Mary in a sense, but also that I might love others as he loved. And so really, I look at that, that aspect of who St. Joseph is in my own petitionary prayer. Um, how do you think St. Joseph loved Mary? Well, I'll tell you one way that he loved, loves Mary today. <laughs> When I was working on my book about Our Lady, uh, I went to him in prayer and I said, look, I need your help with this because I want to honor her the way you would honor her. <laughs> and so I asked him for his help and he made so many sources available to me that I would not have found <laughs> otherwise. Uh, all of a sudden, I would be uh, just... Uh, inspired really to look in certain volumes and I would find uh, sources that, that I think uh, were, were, were interesting. And I would pass those on in the pages of my book. Now, when I was working on my book about St. Joseph, I went to the Blessed Virgin and asked her for help because I want to honor her husband in the, the best way I can. And I was able to make my deadline with both books. And I think I was able to find interesting material as well. And I give the credit 
to both of them and their love for each other. I find that after all these thousands of years, they're still crazy about each other <laughs> and they want to, to make sure that, uh, that each wants to make sure that the other gets the honor that, that he or she deserves. Where do you think St. Joseph is buried? Well, I, I may be of a minority opinion here, but I think that he was assumed into heaven okay. bodily. Interesting. Uh, uh, Saint Saint um, Saint Francis de Sales believed that, and um, and and it seems plausible to me because there's never been there's never been a record of his relics anywhere. Uh, there's never been uh, a record of his burial place, and so um, so I uh, that may be one of my uh, out of the mainstream opinions, uh, but th- but it's one I hold. Yeah, I know that that is posited in Josephology. There was this article, maybe you came across it from Stephen Benko, B-E-N-K-O. And it was kind of my own introduction to Josephology. I found it, it was like in religion and life or something like that. I had to get it through an academic library. They, you know, they actually had to get it from some other library, you know, um, through the acquisition system. But that was kind of my intro to Josephology, giving me different things, uh, you know, what people believed about him. Now, I do know when I was in the Holy Land, I was there for 10 weeks. We were in Nazareth for a week. We stayed at a convent of sisters. I I forget what they're called, the sisters that is, but they had a tomb in like they, well, it was called the tomb of Joseph the Just. And so they believed that maybe that was the tomb of St. Joseph. Um, yeah, I'd all, I've always wanted to like re go or go back to that, you know, and to see who those sisters are and what's really believed about that. When I was in Nazareth on a pilgrimage, a few, a few years ago now, uh, they did not take us to the tomb of St. Joseph the just, but they did take you in Nazareth to what they believed was this carpenter shop and all these Mm -hmm. things. So, um, yeah, a beautiful, a beautiful place of pilgrimage, Nazareth, where, that was the world of St. Joseph. Now you end your book the, uh, about St. Joseph concluding with kind of a, a brief reflection on prudence. Why conclude with prudence of all the virtues you could highlight? Well, uh, it, it's the most important virtue. It's the master virtue. It's the virtue that, uh, that, uh, that, that really uh, uh, makes the others possible. Uh, and and we, we see it exercised in St. Joseph's life. He, he lived in a time of crisis, historical crisis, all right? There were so many things that were happening that, uh, that made the world of St. Joseph feel like a pressure cooker, okay? You have the Romans increasing in power throughout his lifetime. These Gentiles, these idolaters, their power is increasing in the land. It's creating religious tensions all around you, right? And then you're ruled by Herod, this this genius who's a madman, a murderous genius, uh, who who's a despot. Uh, that creates another crisis. You find that there's this census uh, where you have to be enrolled because you're going to be taxed, and nobody ever wants to hear that. Mm. And the taxation itself would have created a crisis for religious Jews because they knew that their taxes to the paid to the Romans would be used for some idolatrous purposes. They would be used to raise temples to the Roman gods and so on. They would be be used to do things that are contrary to their personal morality. So this would have created all kinds of conflicts. It would have created all kinds of controversies among the people around St. Joseph. And then when you think about his life as we know it, 
It's one crisis after another, personal crises. Okay, an unexpected out-of-wedlock pregnancy. That's a pretty big crisis in someone's life. Her due date is imminent, and he has to make this trip to faraway Bethlehem on the back of a beast. You know, it's going to take days. That's another critical moment. It's a crisis. Go on uh, later on. He has to flee the wrath of Herod, the most powerful man in his world. Herod is going to have his military out looking for him. This is a personal crisis for him. All of these things are critical moments. And then later on, when, when Joseph has to come back from Egypt, the next thing we see is a moment of crisis. It's, it's a moment of potential child loss. And what greater crisis could a parent face? One after another moment in Joseph's life, as we know it, is a moment of crisis. And yet he faces them all with equanimity. He faces them all with a certain serenity even. Now, there must have been a lot of tumult inside. But what does he do? He goes to the holy angels and he gets their guidance. He prays. He, he doesn't act impulsively. He tries to reason things out, and he dry, tries to be faithful, to do what he thinks God would want. Um, so I think that, uh, that, that he, even though he never talks about, about prudence, even though he, we never find him giving us a theory of virtue anywhere, uh, he, he really gives us a model of the exercise of virtue. I just have to say, Mike, I love listening to you. Every time I speak with you, I learn so much. And I'm so grateful today that you shared about St. Joseph. So happy you wrote this book, St. Joseph and His World, and that our Holy Father, Pope Francis, declared the year of St. <laughs> Joseph so that we could be able to talk about this and uh, really to discover the hidden treasures of who St. Joseph really is, you know, as our spiritual father, as a person in history, all of these different things. So th this is a marvelous book that I recommend for people to pick up St. Joseph and his world. And if you want to listen to more from Mike Aquilina, you can do so. He hosts The Way of the Fathers, a podcast produced by catholicculture.org. And I'm sure an enlightening podcast about the history of the church and, and all of those holy men and women who wrote uh, the who wrote the early histories of our church. So you can always learn more from him as I am in awe of all the work that you do. Well, thank you so much, Father Edward, and thank, thanks for having me back. I've so enjoyed our conversations. Yeah, so we've been, you've been listening to A Cup of St. Joe, uh, where I serve an espresso shot of teaching and devotion about St. Joseph, and this crossover episode of How They Love Mary, deepening our love for Mary, whether it's the beginning or the uh, deepening of your Marian devotion. I invite you to stay with me now as we pray the litany of St. Joseph. Lord, have mercy. Christ, have mercy. Lord, have mercy. Christ, hear us. Christ, graciously hear us. God, the Father of heaven, have mercy on us. God, the Son, Redeemer of the world, have mercy on us. God, the Holy Spirit, have mercy on us. Holy Trinity, one God, have mercy on us. Holy Mary, pray for us. Saint Joseph, pray for us. Noble offspring of David, pray for us. Light of patriarchs, pray for us. Spouse of the Mother of God, pray for us. Chaste guardian of the Virgin, pray for us. 
Foster Father of the Son of God, pray for us. Zealous Defender of Christ, pray for us. Head of the Holy Family, pray for us. Joseph, most just, pray for us. Joseph, most chaste, pray for us. Joseph, most prudent, pray for us. Joseph, most courageous, pray for us. Joseph, most obedient, pray for us. Joseph, most faithful, pray for us. Mirror of patience, pray for us. Lover of poverty, pray for us. Model of workmen, pray for us. Glory of domestic life, pray for us. Guardian of virgins, pray for us. Pillar of families, pray for us. Comfort of the afflicted, pray for us. Hope of the sick, pray for us. Patron of the dying, pray for us. Terror of demons, pray for us. Protector of Holy Church, pray for us. Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world, spare us, O Lord. Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world, graciously hear us, O Lord. Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world, have mercy on us. He has made him Lord of his household and prince over all his possessions. Let us pray. O God, who in your loving providence chose blessed Joseph to be the spouse of your most holy mother, Grant us the favor of having him for our intercessor in heaven, whom on earth we now venerate as our protector, you who live and reign forever and ever. Amen. You have been listening to the podcast, How They Love Mary, a podcast that I hope will either be the beginning or the deepening of your Marian devotion. If you don't mind, please leave a review of How They Love Mary on Apple Podcasts. Share the podcast with your family or your friends. It's available on Apple Podcasts, on Spotify, on Stitcher, or wherever people find their podcasts. And if you don't mind, please give me a follow on social media at the handle at FR Edward Looney. You can find me on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram. Until next time, let's remain united in prayer to Jesus through Mary. God bless.